If it is to be said, so it be, so it is. This is Even Star Waco, a special series by my brother, my captain, my podcast. Normally, our adventures have us journeying across Middle Earth, but here we travel to the gilded halls of Logan Roy as we discuss the final season of Succession. I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. And I'm Emily, also known as JR Tweeting. Today's episode is Living Plus, <laughs> the latest streaming service from Waystar Royco. <laughs> Our spoiler warning is uh, everything Secession that has aired thus far. Great. Great. Oh, yes. Let's start. Um, okay, so here's my question for you. You are handed the um, skills of one of the finest computer graphics houses uh, currently working in Burbank, California, and a green screen video of Brian Cox speaking at the camera. What do you add into the background? Oh, oh, boy. Well, what do I add into the background? Uh do you have an answer for this? <laughs> I don't because I'm a supremely uncreative person, but I had this like fear in my heart yesterday when they started the show, like the cold open was Logan in front of the green screen. I had this fear that like they had not considered how much damage you could possibly do with releasing that footage like that. And then they just spent the rest <laughs> oh, of the I episode see. courting that by being like, oh, and don't forget, you can do some creepy manipulation of Brian Cox speaking into a camera if you really put your mind to it. Even that moron Greg could handle it. And now I'm like, well, surely this must be the next thing. This must be the next bit of internet disasterdom. And so I'm like, I can't think of anything. I'm not a clever person, but surely people out there can can think of something to put in the background. <laughs> Yeah, it reminds me of that Simpsons episode where uh, Bart's not allowed to watch Itchy and Scratchy. And he's like, I don't need TV. I can use my imagination. <laughs> and then he thinks of it. And then Itchy and Scratchy are just standing there and like, I don't know what to do um, because he has no imagination. He needs other people to think for him, just like me. Um, maybe I'm just a little too far into um, like the Marvel Star Wars universes and stuff. But man, this episode was just giving so much Disney Plus and MCU bullshit. And like some of that is the Brian Cox, like a guy who's dead and having him speak lines. It's like what they do with like Leia and Tarkin and uh, Luke Skywalker now, even though Mark Hamill is regrettably alive. Um, no, sorry, I don't mean regrettably. <laughs> um, I mean, if he still does FaceTime with Ukrainian uh, drone Nazis, maybe. But um, it is like this is... Like, there's a lot of influences that go into, you know, Waystar Royco and the Logan family. Um, the most obvious one is, like, the Fox News stuff. I think an under-discussed one is the Cubs ownership family, the Ricketts family, which I'd love to talk about at some point. But this one felt like a complete Hollywood episode. Um, the franchise pumps. Um, you even got, uh, what's her face? I forget the actress's name who's talking to Roman who gets fired. Annabeth Gish. Um, I'm sure you... my life. There... There you go. Um, and you could make her a Kevin Feige or Kathleen Kennedy analog if you want it. Um, even down to the whole kind of preening Hollywood liberal style of, you know, we believe in democratic institutions. <laughs> um, I feel like it just like perfectly squared up a lot of criticisms I have of Hollywood while also making clear that the dumbest fucking people alive are making all the decisions related to it. That was the, I think that was the thing uh, about this episode that like... I don't know. It's not that I've ever like I've been operating under the illusion that like 
Logan was some sort of genius or or even particularly clever, more clever than than the next man. Um, but he seemed to be not as like criminally stupid as his kids. And so by comparison, he seemed like a bonafide intellectual giant. Um, and so I think having the cold open be Logan endorsing this unbelievably moronic campaign product launch <laughs> and then just like the actual like manipulation that that happens in the show in the episode isn't like getting him to support it when when he didn't it's just kind of changing it around to be exactly the right kind of pitch language and and that was so interesting to me because it's like logan is just as dumb as as the rest of them and he really was towards the end chugging the same Kool-Aid as the rest of them. And like, though he wanted to be the last, you know, legacy media institution standing athwart tech yelling stop, um, like he was still pushed into this false sort of dichotomy of tech versus legacy media and and just constantly getting owned for it. Maybe not as visibly as his fail sons and fail daughter, but like Logan, even in death proving to be dumber than I think he otherwise would have allowed. Yeah, have they mentioned uh, Living Plus before this? Because this seems like an incredibly new and dumb idea that I don't remember them mentioning. I feel like I would have um, heard, like, remembered it, but I don't think they've mentioned this before. Yeah, and it is something that I would more think of, like, Kendall making up than <laughs> Logan making up, per se. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, Logan fails at times, but at least he has convictions in what he's doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that goes a long way. Like, Roman doesn't really have his own conviction in terms of firing both Joy and Jerry. God. Like, with Joy, he's like, oh, I kind of joked about it, so now I kind of have to do it or else I look like I have no teeth. Um, like, he, like, basically narrates the thought process he should be going through at that point. And with Jerry, even, he's just like, ah, I guess I'll fire you, but he's unsure about it. The way he, like, tells Ken, like, I should fire Joy, even though he already did. Um, and then, like, you know, I fired Jerry, too. It's just, like, all a mess. And I even think, like, Shiv, um, Shiv and her disaster relationship with Tom, I don't know if she's going to have the conviction to, like, go through with that relationship in the same way Logan did with, like, Marsha or Carrie or anyone else. Like, Logan will just be like, I I'll fuck whoever I want and I'll do it and who cares? Whereas I can see Shiv or and or Tom tripping all over themselves in the process of doing so. Yes, yes. And, and that living with conviction or, or doing anything with conviction thing, I think that really strikes home for me, like, right now. Because I think one of the things that I'm finding, especially galling, about just so much media is that like it feels kind of convictionless or like it's earnest but it's earnest from like a position of pointlessness like i i think the last thing i could accuse you know the most recent season of the mandalorian of being is like not earnest it's just earnest in the dumbest way imaginable i'm like you know, I think that kind of you should do something with convictions. You should ha have informed opinions about the world and the world you inhabit and then act upon those opinions like feels like really basic stuff. But like, I just feel like it's also kind of falling by the wayside and driving me absolutely fucking batty lately. Um, but but there's there's a is Stephen Sondheim musical. It's it is his masterpiece as far as I'm concerned called Company. Um, and it concerns um, a, a young man. Well, maybe not young in the in the context of the show. <laughs> he's like, I think he's like thirty, um, and and so that is like, you know, all of his friends are married, and so he's feeling like the weight of of aging, I guess, even though he's like thirty. Um, and and the the show concerns like his um, 
a lack of meaning in life, his lack of meaningful relationships in life and, and, and how he sort of comes to terms with um, his position in the world, his his desire or lack thereof for, for a meaningful relationship with someone else. Um, and the, 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 you know, the showstopper song is called Being Alive. Um, and I'm t- I would recommend everybody listening to this to go to whatever your preferred music uh, music listening program. That's the brains uh, put into good use here. But like, go to wherever <laughs> you listen to music and look up Raul Esparza's version of Being Alive because it's just it's flawless. But you know, um, it it starts off kind of cynical and and, and kind of tongue and cheeky, but it's also not. And you know, one of the things that 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 Bobby the the character is 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 you know arguing for a reason why you feel alive um, is you know someone to hold you too close, you know, someone to hurt you too deep, um, you know, someone to know you too well, someone to really piss you off. You know, those are not, that's not sometimes beautiful lyrics, but like, you know, things that make you mad, make you feel alive. And the only reason you feel mad about something is if you have genuine conviction and investment in it and, and you want to see something through um, to the end of it. And, and I think it's interesting the extent to which like, none of these characters really seem mad about things bar Shiv who is righteously angry, but like flailing. Um, and it, it, it's, it's kind of the sense that now that Logan is dead um, and they don't have something very specific to rail against, they've all, they're all kind of just floating out in this sort of like abyss of meaninglessness. And, and so they can't even conjure basic emotions like anger because what is there to be angry against when their whole life was framed around or in 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 relation to their father and now their father is gone and they have to come to the awareness that they're not really people um and this whole episode yeah. just reeked of that yeah um it feels like the first time in a long while that i feel like roman just went through a series of serious l's but it feels like he really did this episode oh, and granted yeah. he was using his power and he didn't really like lose any kind of station or whatever but you could see him like just completely unraveling having no idea what to do and it is like the comment with jerry um where she's like i need you to believe that i can be as good as my father at this and like you know that's kind of a pretty galling thing to say to someone he like dick pics and <laughs> you know in the middle of a meeting and gets caught by his father and that causes her career to suffer for it um so it is just like he doesn't know how to react he doesn't have any conviction in terms of his um what's it called firing these people and then even when ken is giving his big speech he's just like the first one out of there he's like yeah good job ken but i don't know about any of this this is still embarrassing for me even if this does go over um and just like him marching out and just playing like that returning back to uh logan roy edited audio is like what what was the last clip like do you suck on your own dick or something like that (laughs) um something like that uh, it just like i'm haven't seen Roman kind of unravel like this. And it all kind of comes back to his dad. Like the whole thing, like with, when Shiv like calls them out for like clearly trying to tank the Matson deal, he's like, well, he, he said something mean about dad. And if you remember what he said about Logan was he's a prick, which I think we all agree Logan is. Um, I'm pretty sure Shiv would definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, so it is Roman just kind of not knowing what to do. He said he pre grieved over his dad, but, um, not being able to function as a human is kind of catching up to him right in this moment. Yeah. And, and I think it's like the, the, the story of the show that thus far has been the story of Kendall developing or attempting to develop a personality beyond the confines of his father. I think then discovering that that's totally impossible and then being suckered back into being effectively who he was at the start. Um, it's Shiv desperate for, um, 
oh, I have to be so careful about how I say this. It's it's Shiv desperate for the approval of a certain type of person, i.e. men in power, um, and never, ever, ever getting it, though she's repeatedly suckered into thinking that it might be coming down down the pipeline for her. Um, and, and, and so, you know, Logan, I think, is almost a lesser part of the equation in, in Shiv's relationship to her father than, than the fact of, you know, him having been her father. You could, you could replace him with anyone. And I think Shiv still would have had that fraught relationship, which is why we see her kind of turn it on to, on to Matt's and, and bits and pieces. You know, she's getting that look in her eyes. Like when, when Logan said in season two or whatever it was that he wanted to bring her in and, and make her CEO. And, and she's got that kind of dumb look in her eyes where she, she's fallen for it again. She's making the same mistake twice. And so like, you know, she's got that personality, you know, kind of independent of Logan and Logan's Loganness. Um, Roman just doesn't have shit. Cause, cause he was, he never took a firm position on his father. He never t- took a firm position on anything, really. He was never offensive enough to either part of any of the splits to really alienate them. And now he's just this like pointless glob mm-hmm. of fuck ups and embarrassments. And I think it's interesting to see him, you know, cause I, I wrongly predicted that like his greatest strength would be the fact that he was always kind of more closely associated with like the bureaucrats of the company and and um he was he was far less about the kind of big name players um the ultra wealthy kind of semi-idle rich he was more with you know the lawyers and and the financiers um and instead it seems like in his interactions with everyone that 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 it's not actually proved to be his strength and and I'm kind of just mostly interested in seeing like how his weird and awful relationship with Jerry and like him apparently forgetting that she's a lawyer. Like that to me is the biggest like if there is one because we were talking about this last time, right? With Matson. Like Matson can't fucking fire the girl he sends courts of his blood to, because that's just an obvious <laughs> like if 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 not a lawsuit, then a you know, a reputation destroying book. And and Roman just did what to a lawyer? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, he's kind of like, uh, he's a South Park kid where you just, nothing matters and who cares about anything. It's all the same and it's all shit. Um, so he like just flattens everything into the same kind of level of meaninglessness. Like the way when Joy is talking about how, uh, we don't want you like talking with Jared Mankin is like, Jared Mankin's just another IP. Um, to him, like that and Calypsotron are no different. Um, all that matters is like he has a money hose that he can turn on for them that will hopefully turn on a bigger money hose for him and his family. Um, and yeah, just like not realizing, like he has no context for what he's done to Jerry, who Jerry is, the position she holds and the optics of doing any of this. Um, and this is what happens when you are like not a complete human being. You don't know how to interact with the world around you. Uh, so he's just like, he, and he doesn't get any help from Kendall, who is also very detached from the world. So he just there's like, yeah, whatever, let's fire people. Um, you almost think that uh, Kendall was going to fire uh What's his face? Carl at the end of this episode when he confronted him after that whole speech. Um, but yeah, going back to Roman, I think it's just this man has never had to interact with something like normally and with conviction or earnestness in his life. Um, and now he just absolutely can't engage in anything beyond this kind of baseline nihilism. Um, and it just like prevents him from growing as a person um, and actually doing anything really worthwhile in his position. Yeah. And and I think so. Roman is in some ways kind of the the polar opposite to 
to Shiv. And I know I'm like quite harsh on Shiv in this podcast generally, but you sure I'm, are. <laughs> I'm harsh on her for the same reason I'm harsh on Vel and, and Andor because I, I, it's like looking in a mirror uh, and a mirror that makes me want to kill myself immediately. But like, um, I think if there's a, uh, not even generous. I think Shiv is possibly the only character to have walked out of this episode with like a, a, a more or less unambiguous dub in, in her column. Like mm-hmm. she sure. is making the same mistake she always makes. Um, She's running back to like safety, i.e. Tom. But there's something... It doesn't feel like a reversion to Norm. Everything about Kendall, like Kendall just feels like he's falling back into what he was at, at, you know, the end of season one, start of season two. It feels like he had something independent about him that is now just falling away. Shiv is making the same old mistakes, but it feels like she's kind of making them with a bit more self-awareness than before i think she's always kind of had this like element of she's oh she's she's very self-aware um she she's she's always sort of aware of the meta the meta text of her own life and then she she knows more than everyone else in the room and i don't think that's actually always true i don't think shiv is ever aware of the subtext or meta text of any room she's in except for now um and and i think in this uh, it was just a series of like gut punch moments that like simultaneously what made me want to like holler for joy and also vomit blood um this whole episode and you know like starting i think with one of the most devastating scenes in this season which is shiv's crying appointments um and I've had a, let's say, a very bad week um, at work. And and I also schedule crying appointments in um, where it's like the, what is it? The 10 minutes hate from Orwell from 1984. You cry for like <laughs> mm-hmm. 10 minutes, get it out of your system, wipe your tears and move on with it. And it's like pure crazy person behavior. Like there's no way a, like a, a mentally well-adjusted person does that. But like... It's quite helpful. It's a good way of getting through the day. And the funny thing is, it is so common for like girl power, corporate boss, lead in Sheryl Sandberg types. Like it's everywhere on Reddit. If you look that shit up, everyone's doing it. All these women are doing it. And it was such like a funny, like on camera, it looks unhinged. In real life, it probably looks unhinged. And yet it's this like widespread thing that so many like women are doing. And it was strange to feel that kind of sense of like unambiguous solidarity with Shiv on something that like I think is actually in the end quite shameful and damning, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. Um, I'm always afraid to uh, praise Shiv on this podcast or else (laughs) you're going to like eat me alive. And there's like an ocean separating us and I'm still afraid. Um, But yeah, no, I I agree with you. I think uh, this was a Shiv dub episode for me. Um, I I, I do not want to comment on women crying in the office space. (laughs) I I am not bold enough to uh, take a stance on that one way or another. Um, But it is like where like her and Tom like, you know, kind of stuff happens again, uh, which is like... It's one of those things where it's like win-win for the audience. Um, Like no matter what happens to them, whether they like get back together or have a disastrous fuck up beyond belief that's irreparable, like it's going to be great either way. Um, So I really like like kind of like the place they are in in this episode, especially that second uh, little chat they have the quickie in the bedroom or the hotel room. I assume that's not far from the party because you can kind of hear it in the background. Um, I don't know. I really like uh, Shiv and Tom. 
because uh, it like starts with her crying and then Tom's like trying to console her and then they kind of like start doing this like kind of gentle petting of each other uh, and then it just you know they start kissing and it's like nice here here we go yeah and and it's it's like I think one of the appeals for their relationship for me has always been the kind of like mutual destruction of it. And like, it has always been that like Shiv thinks she's self-aware and thinks that she's not getting destroyed. And, you know, even in, they even address it head on in, in this episode where like, you know, Tom is like, Oh, I, like you're fucked up good because of what happened to our like relationship. And, and Shiv is like, Oh, not at all. You could, you couldn't even scratch me. You mean nothing to me. And I think for the first time, it was a, a it was some real honesty out of Shiv. And also, I think a real sense of like Tom finally kind of being the captain now, because like he is openly admit- admitting that he's fucked up after the, the breakdown of their marriage. And Shiv's like kind of winking, laughing inability to admit it, I think, is a finally a telegraphing of the fact that like she was properly fucked up. And I think like Tom go jumping into what is one of the most amazing little conversations in this show ever his whole i like money thing i love money um that that sort of laying the cards on the table honesty i think is a sign of 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 some real growth in in them and and i think like you know as much as it's always been fun to root for their their sort of mutual destruction i think it is getting to continue to root for their mutual destruction but like maybe in a slightly more emotionally like open and and intimate way and in a way that almost feels like dare i say it growth (laughs) i guess and like capping it off with with tom's whole i love money and i love my career and then you know his you know casting of the gauntlet of why don't we go live in a in a in a uh, a mobile home together or trailer even together it that felt like really kind of shiv is now Shiv is now becoming something that is not just Shiv Roy. Yeah, um, it's actually it's actually really funny. Um, this is like I am a hundred percent pro subtitles all the time, no matter what, basically. Um, but this is one of the places where Matthew McFadyen's performance was like when he's kind of laying it out. He's like, and I really, really like. And then he pauses there. And because of the subtitles, I knew he was going to say money. But I like there's like a, a second there where like he's like, is he going to say you or like, I love you or like something like that's like kind of cheesy and romantic that's directed at Shiv. But it's like, no, it's like I I really like money. And it's funny, like his idea of like being poor is going to like a three star Italian restaurant, <laughs> uh, which is like pretty much like where I dine in exclusively uh, if I have a choice. So um, but it is, I, I like, I appreciate that. Like the fact that like so much of these, re- uh, relationships are just built on like material wants and desires. And they're not like the, like the most healthy people are the ones willing to acknowledge that. I think we saw that with, uh, Willa a couple episodes yes. ago oh, at the wedding yes. where she's like, uh, you know, I'm part of this is safety and security and money. That's a great part of it, but it isn't the only part of it. And I think, this it's one of those things like the way they laughed at each other when Tom's like let's go live in a trailer park it was kind of one of those like haha JK unless uh, like it was like an ironic laugh and then an earnest laugh or maybe I had it the other way around maybe it was an earnest laugh first and then an ironic laugh um, but either which way there's there's something there um, and I think like just being able to be that honest about it I still don't see them going for 
complete like success win between them t- between them as a relationship um because Shiv still has some of that like oh I'm the one who broke you Tom um I've had so many great exes before you you only had me um and then I don't I don't know how to interpret the biting things God, on the hands unhinged. um but I mean this was you know I hate to say it or no I don't really hate to say it I don't have any opinion on it but this is like the best I remember seeing these two possibly oh, ever so in any good. given episode um and this is like one where they're supposed to be like hardest on the outs perhaps maybe other than like the premiere of this season um but like man they 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 were cooking this episode I want to see what they're cooking Yes oh it should, it was it, it was uh, yeah, it was top tier performance. I, the the Willow reference, yeah, that is perfect because it is. It's the interlopers, I think, are finally reaching the point of you know Willa only has this discussion with Connor when she realizes that she holds a lot more power in that relationship than she realizes. Like like Connor really thinks that the you know if it's not Willa, it's not going to be anyone. Um, and I think Willow realizes that and then is comfortable enough to be like, yeah, like, let's get married. But, you know, it's also is a financial thing. And and Tom, I think, has realized that, like, coming out of this, he may be in a fucked up, awful position, but Shiv has also gone through something even more fucked up and can't really hide the cracks. And he knows her well enough to to see where those cracks are. And she's also starting to realize or maybe admit as openly as she will admit that that he that he can indeed see the cracks. And that's when he's a bit honest about it. And, and I think these interlopers kind of being straight up about how this is working is is, I think, good for the, the kind of little rich kids because they never really have anyone say this stuff honestly to them. I don't think, or it certainly doesn't seem that way. Um, and, and I think that kind of like leveling with them in a way that like certainly their parents would never have done is prop. Well, I don't know about Connor's mom, but, but father and, 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 um, Harry mm-hmm. Walters, um, for, for Shiv. <laughs> um, I think that, that is, I think a good thing. And, and I hate to do this because, um, Poor Matthew McFadden will never beat the allegations, but um, it's hard to not compare what's going on in this Tom and Shiv stuff to, unfortunately, um, Mr. Darcy and and Lizzie Bennett, um, mm-hmm. because I think like so I have a fairly cynical take on Pride and Prejudice. I think I also have an accurate take on Pride and Prejudice, which is that like the financials of it all are not as immaterial to the question of Lizzie and Darcy's relationship as like, I think some of the more modern reads on it would have you seem like people generally like to pretend that Lizzie Bennett is totally pure of heart and that, you know, she's not actually going after Darcy um, for his money or what that money means. But like the text of the book lets us know that that is emphatically not true. Like she will even, she openly admits in the book that her heart first started opening to him or the possibility of him after she sees Pemberley. Pemberley is a big fuck off house. It's massive. It is a massive, beautiful estate. It it is it screams rich. And that's the moment at which she goes, maybe I could actually have a relationship with this man. Um, and, you know, I don't think it I don't think that detracts from the romance of it. Um, I think there is still a, 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 one of the greatest love stories of all time um, nestled within that. But there is a very clearly material element to to the the genesis of that relationship and and to to you know the kind of 
essential character of what it is. It, it is about a social climber, um, finding the right man to social climb her right the fuck out of her annoying family. Um, and, and maybe there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, at least on the terms that this show succession has provided for us to understand its characters. And, you know, Tom's moment of honesty saying, I like money and I like my career and basically saying, and Shiv, you specifically are the reason why I can have those things that I like. And, you know, I, through you, I'm able to have other things that make me feel good, even if you specifically don't make me feel good. That that has shades of Lizzie um, Bennett. I, you know, I think her Lizzie Bennett's relationship with Mr. Darcy is a lot more sort of classically Austenian, but like more wholesome than that. But but, you know, it is that same sort of there is a means to an end in this person and this person can also become the end, but they are very much the means at, at once. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's kind of nice to see that like, um, interrogation of, um, love and, and marriages in, in this show. Um, because as much as it's like futile, um, you know, I don't think the show is treating any marriage as a given, um, Divorce is totally a thing that exists within the realm of possibility within the show. Shiv has all of the money in the relationship. It's not like she's financially tethered to to Tom. Um, in fact, it's very much the other way around. Um, and yet, I think there's this desire to renegotiate what the shape and form of their marriage is. Um, and and it's, I, I, I don't know, there's just something, it's kind of nice. I'm not going to like call it radical because it's not. It's like deeply cynical and depraved and these people are awful. But like, it's kind of refreshing. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, but I do want to talk about another man with money in Shiv's life, um, that being Lucas Matson, because <laughs> um, I kind of want to get your take on where you think this relationship is, um, because I think my read from the past couple episodes and then even probably the first scene in this episode where they uh, hang out on the tarmac together, um, I really felt like Lucas was uh, playing Shiv, like flat out, like that was a clear power dynamic. Um, but by the end of the episode, when Lucas's whole tweet about what Dodrick might free, um, whatever that was, um, like that's pretty much him just lifting what uh, Shiv texted him or uh, what's it, um, what's what she said, like, oh, prison camp for grannies or whatever she says to him on the phone um and then he does a basically you know a more nazified version of that uh message and then when she's the one who's like uh, maybe too far and then uh matson uh deletes the tweet i was like i don't think shiv is necessarily smart enough to get the upper hand on him but there is an angle here where she could play him as opposed to what i assumed was the other way around of him playing her yeah uh, you know what i i think it comes I don't think it's anything that Shiv specifically did. I think Shiv was getting played for most of this um, and and also didn't fully realize that she was getting played. Um, and then I think her brothers fucking up embarrassingly all around them. Matson wanting to not actually destroy this deal, but wanting to maintain his tough guy persona. Kendall and and Rome wanting to obliterate this this deal and get themselves out of it. Um, I think all of the pieces moving around Shiv have like imbued her with more power than she otherwise had. So like while she started the episode absolutely getting played by him through no real action or change on her part, she ended it kind of controlling him, not controlling him, but ha certainly having the upper hand. And um I'm going to be careful for the sake of libel law, but there is, say, let, let us all imagine together um, a, an Afrikaner uh, billionaire um, who, <laughs> let's say, uh, maybe the son of uh, 
amethyst or sapphire mining. Um, <laughs> say that this 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 hypothetical fake billionaire um, had a relationship with um, uh, uh, an actress, let's say, who may or may not have been in an adaptation of a Jane Austen film. Let's say Emma. Um, and and if this marriage um, that once saw this actress who previously did not hold much power over this hypothetical billionaire um, later dissolved through her, um, her machinations and not his, you know, she the, say she initiated the divorce as a pretend scenario. Um, and then this billionaire um, spent a whole bunch of time really embarrassingly trying to win back her attention. Um, I think it would look something like this. It might also look something like mm-hmm. buying Twitter Um but but it but it might not it might not this is all hypothetical of course um and and, and so like i think there's kind of something very um felinoski about it all um and and there's something like these men who think they are tough and these men who think they are powerful are in fact like kind of like shiv desperate for attention and desperate for validation um and and in so doing will do just utterly pathetic things to to embarrass or not to embarrass but to to impress um women who as in the case of shiv um have the man they are fucking watching what is going on and laughing at at these men and and these these rich men just don't seem to clock that no matter how much money they have no matter how tough they act they're just you know they're always going to be cringe as shit Uh, you mentioned Twitter in there. Um, so I feel like that's a good spot where we can talk about perhaps taking social media and making it physical <laughs> and bringing it into the real world. Um, I, I think we should probably talk a little bit about Living Plus and Ken's big journey this episode. Um, because this looked like it was going to be another one of those big, epic Ken fumbles the bag moments at the very last moment. Um, drop it right before the end zone to use phrasing he uses uh, himself in this episode. Um, and then, oh, where do let, let's start with talking about what Living Plus is because it is the most insane product ever described. Um, but I can absolutely see something like this happening um, because this is what I imagine every fucking boomer conservative old person wants um, is to live in some kind of like micro surveilled uh, neighborhood that'll literally like drone strike anyone who appears that you don't want them to appear. And then uh, everything else will be like Fox news on every board and Tucker Carlson delivers your milk in the morning or something like that. (laughs) Not anymore. Um, Like, well, someone like that. (laughs) And, uh, the way that uh, Ken describes it, uh, integrated IP everyday life God. enhancement, and that like directors will stop by and show you rough cuts of their movies. It's like so insane, but like it's gonna, it's something like this is gonna happen. It's gonna be like too close to this for me not to think that it is basically this. It kind of sounds like that Star Wars hotel that flopped hard, where they were like, "Oh, come yeah, stay yeah, in no, our exactly. bunker, and we'll have some dude in a bad costume occasionally spit at you, and then you get to sleep in a prison cell." <laughs> Or it is apparently the entire state of Florida um, right now for people over the age of 55 and with a certain number of zeros in their bank account. Um, Although I suppose that may turn into the next war zone as the mouse gears up to fight uh, Ron DeSantis or whoever the fuck it is, who's the governor of uh, Florida now. It's so grim Um, because it is like it's the sort of thing that when like well, maybe not everyone was like this, but when I was like five, right? And when I was really big into Harry Potter, like if someone had pitched the like opportunity to go to a school that was like Hogwarts and live that out, 
my five-year-old self would have been all over that. But then you like grow up and you're not five anymore. And suddenly that's not as like appealing to you. But I think there is like a clear sort of push in, in, um, the manipulation of consumer behavior to convince people that that instinct they have when they're five years old is like a good instinct that should be like coddled and brought forth into adulthood. Um, and you know, it's the whole Disney adult kind of phenomenon. And I think it is like, we are headed here. You're right. I am going to walk out into traffic just thinking about it but like i'm sure some assholes got this on their product roadmap for the next like two years and we're gonna have to like face the face the grim reality of of what that's gonna mean particularly for like the fox news captured demographic in the u.s who would definitely walk into this with their eyes allegedly wide open and then just like bankrupt themselves yeah, no, that's why I think it kind of overlaps with the whole MCU thing we discussed earlier, because this is very much where, like, the only kind of engagement with the world people can, like, see, or at least Americans can, like, engage with now is consumption. Uh, consumption defines who they are and is a reflection of their politics. Um, that's why there's so much fucking, you know, like, screeching about whether this TV show has good politics or this movie is my friend, um, because it all has to kind of reflect consumption. And that's all this is, is it's just, like, turning every aspect of your life into consuming a product from a major corporation um, so that you can have, like, um, I don't know. You you go to class and it's Tony Stark teaching you how to do physics because he does like the launch angle of a like ICBM missile <laughs> um, from the United States and hitting North Korea or something like that. Um, and like you said, that would there's so many people who that'd be attractive to. Obviously, kids because kids are fucking dumb. Um, but then like you look at the adults out there who are just like beating the AI bandwagon or like cheering on people like Elon Musk, they would absolutely be on board for something like this. Um, and like the way like Ken is like saying, Oh, and you'll have the like privileged access to life enhancement technologies from pharmaceutical and tech companies. It's like, there's like a million things wrong with that. Like there's eugenics involved in that. There's a lot of classism involved with that. Um, that is also just something like, Jesus Christ, imagine getting that from like News Corp or from Disney or Amazon. Like, of course not. Uh, no, no sane per Well, I assume no sane person would want that, but I've been disappointed before. So um. <laughs> it's, I think the, your, your point about like it's consumption as like a, I don't know, a vector for having opinions about everything. I, I it's so accurate. And I think it is like, you know, they're constantly fighting this battle in the show between like, oh, they really want to support the right wing freak um, running for president. And then they also have to like fight back against these like liberal bourgeois sort of stooges who are like, oh, but we care about democracy or whatever the Pierce line was. Um, we care about civility. Um, and there is this <laughs> whole like, oh, it is, you know, we are we, the way we consume things defines our politics and, and defines our opinions. But then you look at. I mean, really, all all of them, Shiv included. You look at Kendall, you look at Roman, you look at Shiv, you, maybe not Connor, but the, but the three of them, the core three, and they don't have opinions on anything. Um, they are selling people a way to express their opinions with their dollar, you know, vote with your dollar, but they don't have any fucking opinions. They just go where the wind blows. And so I think there's something like uniquely kind of depressing about that and that like people, f you know, feel that there is a... Um, there is a possibility of a um of of a of a 
politically good consumerism. Um, and in reality, it's just totally not possible because in the end, the the default position for even the liberal billionaires is the, the far right. I mean, Shiv did not put up much of a fight for stopping that Mencken stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's just kind of like, you know, yeah, sure, integrated at all into uh, all of the life stuff is IP stuff because it, it all doesn't matter. Like once you are at the point of signing over your, your sense of politics to dmcu um or to star wars or to any of these other like big ips like you may as well just live in disney world the whole time because you're just not engaging with the real world so you may as well just get fleeced and live in some sort of weird like entertainment mickey mouse feudalism because your actual contribution to to the world beyond that is just null um and don't worry you're also going to be funding the lives of of people whose contribution to the world is also null um and it's just an awful little feedback loop. It's I, I just like for 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 an episode that on the whole made me go, hey, there's some positive growth in these characters. The actual kind of like meta um, uh, <laughs> outcomes for the world writ large in succession was especially bleak this episode. Yeah, um, I don't know if you watched Westworld, but it would be really funny if you can somehow make Living Plus the like beginning of whatever robot singularity led to the robot hosts of that uh, story. Um, I think there's like a clear through line from this kind of Living Plus idea to um, fucking cowboy robots at your whim. Um, <laughs> sorry, that might make not make not make sense if you haven't watched uh, Westworld. Which but, I haven't. <laughs> um, it also might, <laughs> might not make sense if you have watched Westworld, but. Um, there, I don't know what else to say about it. Um, it's great. Um, let's uh, let's wrap up by just talking about uh, Kenny G. Um, I guess there's no G there. Uh, but let's talk about Kendall because um, despite what looks like he might end up fucking it because right before he goes on stage, it seems like, you know, Carl gives him like the harshest pep talk Carl is able to give him, which first of all, I love like this performance oh, by David so Rash because like... Carl isn't someone who's going to yell at you like Logan, but that doesn't mean he can't be firm and get to the point in a similar manner. And I thought that really came through in uh, Rashi's performance. Uh, But then also there's Roman who's like right before Kendall goes on stage with his like top gun jacket. (laughs) He's like, well, uh, you kind of do you. I might be kind of distancing myself from all this stuff. And it's more your idea because you like really fucked the numbers and just kind of made up whatever. Um, And Uh, So it it just looked like it was setting up for a big Kendall like explosion. Um, And then he kind of does good. He like, you know, starts off with the big, big, big shoes comment. That's kind of stumbly and talking to the teleprompter, real amateur hour, (laughs) Um, but he gets it together. Um, And then it seems like it's good. The crowd responds to him. And then here comes the Matson tweet. And you're like, ah, this will be the thing that fucks him. This will be like when Shiv put out that statement about his drug abuse right before he was going to go on that what Samantha B knockoff show last season. Uh-huh. Um, just like the thing that right at the last second, just as Sisyphus is going to get that rock over the hill, <laughs> um, it comes and it rolls him back down and he's rolled over and all that stuff. But he actually fights through it. He like is able, you know, he basically says, yeah, he's fucking European and weird and stuff like that. And he's able to like pivot back to the thing because Kendall for everything else knows when to just assault you with business jargon. Um, and it's, you know, it's like catnip to an audience, like an investor meeting. Um, so he's able to recover and then he gets to have an ending where he like goes out on the beach and he walks out into the ocean, but it is not to like kill himself as it usually is with Kendall Roy. Um, he is actually somewhat happy in this moment. And I keep coming back to the idea of 
motif of uh, water and sinking and drowning with Kendall, going back to the kid he killed in season one, um, going back just to the whole Cruises storyline, uh, going with the fact that he tried to possibly drown himself last season near the end of the season. Like, this is clearly something they want us to be thinking about with Kendall Roy. Yeah, and I think it was really funny because they released a part of that clip in the trailer for this season and a whole bunch of people spent a lot of time freaking out about it. Um, and so it was funny to see it resolved in like quite an innocuous way. Um, I think I've potentially been too long in the corporate world because I still, at the end of that episode, I'm still like, I think Kendall did fuck it. Like, I think he did. Everyone I know is like, he didn't. So I'm like, okay, so he didn't. But I'm like, I don't think I understood enough of any of the words that he was saying at any point to, like, have an opinion on it. Like, because because you're right, like, he's so good at whipping out the like, you know, Phil Spector had the wall of sound. Um, Kendall Roy has the wall of bullshit. Um, and he's so good at whipping that out. And I think, like, maybe it was just because I was really tired when I watched it or like maybe because I'm just in I've been in the job I'm in for too long or whatever. But like, I was like, I think this isn't good. Maybe it is. I don't really know. I was kind of taking my cues from all of the other characters, which is why one of the best lines of this episode, unfortunately, was one of Greg's lines. And and he goes to Tom, who is panicking about having to go up and do a speech next. He goes, you don't even have to worry about your speech. You just got to mop up all of the blood. <laughs> and I was losing it because it was so like... It's not well crafted. It's such a Gregism where it's like it's not really a particularly like artful thing, but it was quite cutting. It was quite accurate. I think that was my only takeaway from it, which probably just says a lot about who I am as a person. And then I like really felt like dying when Tom went up there and tried to do some weird like call and response thing. Um, (laughs) But like Kendall, I think I think Kendall's just done. I think like him taking a dunk in the sea is not really like he's not going to kill himself. But he's not really living. He's not really people. He's not succeeding. He is just going to be in that stasis, that like womb state that is the ocean. He's going to be stuck in that forever uh, and he'll he'll never make it out. And he maybe is just coming to terms with that very, very slowly now. No, I think you uh, have something there because I'm not entirely sure that Kendall didn't fuck it either. Like, I think there's a very good chance he did. We kind of rely on our Greek chorus of Carolina and Hugo telling us that he did well um, or Carl calling him special. Um, Because I think back to what uh, the accountant or whatever Pete was saying, numbers aren't just numbers, they're numbers. (laughs) Um, And I think uh, and I think a lot of this has to do with some of like the made up streaming numbers that like Netflix and Disney and all them will hit us with that don't mean anything and don't account for, you know, revenue and profit trends. Um, But I really think it's kind of like that. Like the numbers are bullshit, but they are concrete also. Um, And at some point, everything that uh, Kendall said while up on stage is complete bullshit. And I don't think anything is going to hold up, but all he has to do is convince like 18 people across the world that it makes sense for about 10 minutes. And that's enough. (laughs) That's like the entire house of cards that this entire thing is built on. It's all just the nearest quarterly projections. And that's all that drives it and constant growth. And as long as you can create that image, whether any of that growth actually materializes or turns into something material or tangible, uh, it's almost irrelevant. It's just the idea that it might in the near future. Um, That's all Kendall has to do. And I think, you know, part of it is that 
you know, they are kind of stuck in the middle because they're like, we want to just kind of run this whole biz. But the whole idea initially was they want to get in, seal the deal and then get out. Um, and I think they're kind of stuck in between and they're going to get caught in between those push and pull forces in these last episodes. The other reason I really like them killing Logan off early and giving these um, like kids, like six to seven episodes is like I said, I wanted to see more of like the denouement or what comes after. And this is like the perfect length of time to give like all the kids like some dubs, but then also enough time or give them enough like length of rope to hang themselves by the end of the season. Yeah. And the that point you're making about like it's not the it's not the actual growth, it's the potential or the illusion of growth. It ooh, spot on, of course, spot on. Um, but like there's some I, I've been thinking about this a lot, right? Because like Amazon has just released this show by the Russo brothers, the Citadel, which looks utterly stupid, just beyond words. Um, and they like I think they'd earmarked like half a bill for it. Where have we heard this before? And like, it was meant to like yeah. launch a new cinematic universe based off of like the world's spy agencies. And like, rather than launching a new franchise after they've dropped a half a bill on it, it kind of hit with a clunk. The critics all think it's the critics who are not drooling morons. All think it's bad. Um, everybody else is like, this is cardboard. Why am I eating Chuck E. Cheese pizza when I'm at home and could have perfectly nice pizza that I could make myself? Um, and, and yet, despite this, um, it does not spell financial doom for, for Amazon. Um, I should point out as well that this is the second time they've done it in six months where they've dropped a half a bill on a TV show that was meant to make them an enormous amount of returns. And, um, everybody hated it. Nobody actually watched it. They won't release the numbers for, for viewership, presumably because they are so embarrassingly poor. The few numbers we have gotten a look at for the Rings of Power, like, are just like comically bad, um, and those are the ones what, they 30% are thirty percent finished the show. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's so bad, it's so grim. But like, this is the second <laughs> time Amazon has done it, and yet they are not falling apart. There is no like, there are no forecasts of financial ruin like looming in Amazon's future. It is just the possibility of eternal growth. The 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 prospect of some returns for the the shareholders, presumably by squeezing the workers at the bottom, that is keeping this thing afloat, keeping this thing going. Um, and and I think what it does far more than anything else is like reveal the fundamental like artificiality of of like of the system, right? Like they are literally just printing money, um, not for people like you and me, not for people who can't afford to turn our heat on in the winter or like who are making, you know, you know, I was doing this math last night, right? And I know I say this quite a lot and it's annoying, but I have two degrees, right? I have, I have two degrees, one of them from the best university in the world. And um, I make less, I make half of what my mother made um, when she had no college degree at all um, in 1980 working as a paralegal, not even a paralegal, sorry, a legal assistant. She was a secretary. Um, I make half of what she she made then. Um, and I uh, have just gotten a whole bunch of like raises and promotions and stuff. And like, there is money out there for some people. There was money out there for some people. It is no longer there. It's all fake. Um, and yet, you know, whether it is Amazon's The Rings of Power slash The Citadel slash whatever other bullshit they've got in the pipeline or Disney's The Mandalorian, The Filoni-verse or whatever other horrible thing is out there <laughs> looming in the dark like Cthulhu or whether it's this living plus thing, um, it, it, it is all constructed on um, soulless losers like Kendall Roy, um, and you know the sort of running dogs of of capital like Roman and Shiv, um, who represent simultaneously the far right and the <laughs> liberals. Um, and and will it collapse? 
don't know, probably not because there's an enormous amount of force um, dedicated to, to propping it up. But it really does seem like it ought to collapse at some point. Um, and maybe it just takes killing a second Logan Roy, Kendall Logan Roy to, to make that happen. Yeah, no, I think the absurdity of like this entire system is pretty uh, well elucidated by Greg of all people when he's like, you can't really sell houses as tech because houses have been around for a while. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It, there was also something uh, kind of interesting because like Matson goes, oh, I don't want to be involved in property because property is not scalable, which is kind of true. But it's also like he's very European in that because property is scalable in the US. Um, certainly not on the mm -hmm. infinite scale like he's he's meaning. But like, you know, in 2015, um, when I was like working on a campaign to fucking fund our public schools and in, in Fairfax County, there was like 65 million square feet of office space sitting empty in Tyson's Corner. And they were planning on building an additional 125 million square feet because their goal was to like make it the size of Seattle by 2019, which uh, fuck knows who cares if they actually accomplished that. But like 65 million square feet of empty office space that they were just building because it like earned them money to build. They could just like, you know, uh, whatever stupid producers accounting magic they were able to do to to make this money it is actually scalable but not when you're in europe where land is vastly more finite a resource uh, than it is in the united states and and i think it's interesting to see mattson's take on that where he is thinking as a european and and we don't have much elbow room here um and not thinking like um like the americans who could just go you know, pave over Yellowstone Park and build a couple soulless plate glass um, condo blocks um, that they could then just like harass people out of. Um, and that was a kind of interesting little bit of culture there, really revealing the kind of two sides of how these these essentially same groups of people are thinking about the the to quote Madonna, the material world. <laughs> Yeah, no, the Europeans ran out of land to conquer like what, 600 years ago? <laughs> so they don't really they don't really have a concept of that anymore, but it also is kind of like a different way to like frame the we talk about like the tech versus the traditional media like industries as like the old and the new, but there is something to where um like this living plus is kind of like the old property driven and land ownership economy whereas Gojo and Matson exists exclusively in the attention economy, which some people say is the thing that has like succeeded the land driven economy in terms of like the dominant driving force of all consumerism and you know consumption so i think that's like another interesting way to look at so i very good call very good call on your part i um want to flag up just for a little corporate jargon there that um if you go and read adam smith's the wealth of nations which is the 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 foundational text of capitalism it is a descriptive i would say rather than a prescriptive text but it's also fairly easy mm -hmm. to read um and he dedicates a lot of time to being like landlords are fucking useless. Um, they are economically inactive. They are economically unproductive and and almost a verbatim quote here, whiny crybabies who don't do anything. Um, and if Adam Smith was saying that, um, God, um, how far have we fallen since what at that point seemed like the right flank of history? So before we sign off today, we would like to thank some of our $10 and $5 patrons. If you sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com slash mybromycatmypod, we will give you a Middle Earth name, which we will read on air every episode for our $10 patrons and on a rotating basis for our $5 patrons. So today we would like to thank Johnny Flores Jr., a.k.a. Lothaman of Palinque. And Ed the Revelator, a.k.a. Silent Spider, Guardian of Kirithungal. 
Matthias Hansen, Uranian Taranen. <laughs> Matthew Abbott, also known as Aranwa Minyatar. Zach Newman, a.k.a. Lacquamelme. <laughs> Sal Quindiel, also known as Cam Lewis. Nick Smith, uh, a.k.a. Ronesse. And Penamel, also known as Munjo. And for our $5 patrons, we want to thank Alinistare Rovinde, a.k.a. Tara. <laughs> and Yandil Verasto, <laughs> a.k.a. Connor. <laughs> And that closes the book on this episode of My Brother, My Captain, My Podcast. Our email is mybrothermycaptainmypodcast at gmail.com and mybromycatmypod on Twitter and Instagram. You can support this podcast by subscribing to patreon.com slash mybromycatmypod. I've been Manu, also known as Nuclear Bomb. You can find me covering A Song of Ice and Fire over at Nauticast ASOIAF. And I've been Emily, also known as JRR Tweeting, which is where you can find me on Twitter, where I will be booking out an entire floor of a WeWork building to do a women in STEM crying session. Toasting a pint <laughs> to our sound editor, Stephen Boyd, a.k.a. Ithroglier Andretheon, a.k.a. DJ Empirical on Twitter. Please like and review our podcast wherever you may be listening. So until next time, remember... You're an ATN citizen, and you're an ATN citizen, and I'm an ATN citizen. <laughs>